Hello and welcome to the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. I am your moderator for this evening, Spencer Tordoff. Joining me, we have Tyler Martin. Hey. Aaron Thayer. Hi, everyone. Doug Bonham. Hello. And Nick Cummings. Hi. And tonight, we are addressing the upcoming closure of GameSpy, specifically the GameSpy multiplayer service. Um, GameSpy, you may know as the multiplayer matchmaking used by games as diverse as the original Battlefield, the first Borderlands, and inexplicably Pokemon. Those servers are closing down. Nintendo already ended their use of them as of the 20th. And a lot of games that uh, you might not expect are losing their multiplayer support. Yeah, just to set some context, GameSpy is not a name that you hear tossed around much these years, especially since they closed down their editorial site a long time ago. But apparently, as it turns out, lots of games, uh, especially Nintendo and Rockstar games, have still been using GameSpy's matchmaking service uh, for all of their connectivity and multiplayer functionality. Now that that's going away, uh, that poses some big problems for, you know, for example, anyone with a Wii or a DS who wants to go online, because they can't do that anymore. And there are some wider implications to this, but we'll, uh, we'll get to that when it, well, when the time comes. Who has some, well, some thoughts even just on the list? of games that are closing we'll uh, post a couple articles that have some examples but uh yeah what do you guys think about i mean how sudden this is for some of these titles as someone it's... that doesn't play a lot of multiplayer <laughs> pc games i'm not super affected by it there are some kind of surprisingly recent games that i didn't expect i mean i know borderlands was thrown out there and the the, the more recent ds pokemons like did not see that coming either but still, like I'm not actively playing in these games, and I had no intention of revisiting them in the near future. So it's just like, for me, the, the headline was just like, "Huh, all right then." Yeah, I think. I... Uh, Go ahead, Dev. All right, I think that um, one of the articles we'll post from Rock Paper Shotgun put it best when it says, "Spun off from GameSpy standalone server browser." The technology's tools have been behind everything from server browsers and getting around routers and oodles of games to Civilization V's mod hub. Like, this is ubiquitous technology and it's getting taken away from a bunch of games. It just kind of makes us realize just how pre prevalent um, third-party middleware software is in games. And when one of these tiles comes out, that whole Jenga tower goes down sometimes. Yeah, and I think... Um... I'm speaking for myself, but I don't know how many of us here, as Tyler was saying, actually play many of these games online in that sense. There are legacy titles that uh, Battlefield 1942, like Spencer mentioned, but even Grand Theft Auto 4, um, the multiplayer for that, I guess if I was playing those, I'm probably the hardcore person who has modded them heavily, on PC anyway, and I am pretty sure that most of them are going to get some sort of um, community patch 
maybe people who invest in their own servers if it's not there already. I know that Bungie actually just updated Halo 1 on PC to remove the GameSpy element and patched in some things, oddly enough, too. Um, was that Bungie? Yeah, it was actually Bungie that went back and patched. Oh, not Gearbox? No. Huh. That's um, pretty crazy. So yeah, we could see some of that coming from this, of developers of the games going back and removing this a multiplayer code uh, matchmaking, as Nick put it, to allow these really hardcore fans to keep going. But I don't think that that's going to be a, a rule. I don't think that's... I think it's the exception. And it really does kind of point out to me that I didn't play those games anyway. So Yeah, yeah I think it's definitely going to be the exception games, going forward. I mean, yeah, a lot of these games probably have fallen by the wayside. Maybe had a couple holdouts like there always are for multiplayer games that just they swear that Jedi Academy has the best multiplayer <laughs> ever and by god you're not going to take it from them. Okay. But well, I mean, in fairness, yeah. those people are right. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? No, no Jedi no, Outcast was better. Yeah, Jedi Outcast was way better, but that's but, yeah. hardly the point. Yeah, okay. But it's not just these weird outlier games. I mean, like, you know, we have on one hand kind of iconic genre-defining games like Battlefield 1942 and also you have like we said with Nintendo the fact that the D- all DS and Wii online services are basically shut down now, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can make an argument that the Wii U's been out for about a year, not that anyone's noticed, but <laughs> there are still not only like active players on games like Mario Kart and Smash Brothers Brawl, or you know, Pokemon Black and White Two, which just came out, I want to say, a year and a half ago. Yeah, um, two years. These are pretty recent games. Yeah, I feel like it was like fall of twenty twelve when those came out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty pretty soon after a landmark game to kill off its online service and granted it's a system level thing not a game specific thing but uh, that kind of especially for Nintendo like a company that's really built a, a brand around you know consistency durability longevity endurance you know it's it's atypical of them to have a product or a core com- you know a core component just sort of flop so quickly after uh, active usage Mm-hmm. Indeed. And additionally, considering some of the some of the tail you get on that um, long tail, so to speak. Uh, on the one hand, you know, there's a lot of crappy little DS games that they fell by the wayside. They'll never be missed. But you know, there's a lot of people still actively playing, or were anyway. A lot of people still actively playing um, Animal Crossing, Pokemon Pearl, uh, through Black and White Two. Um, Do we have and- numbers on those? I- I- I have a hard time believing there's a lot of people still playing Wild World. I don't think Nintendo released any numbers, but I, that my hunch is that there were a lot of active players on a few specific games still. My, yeah. I know Mario Kart DS had still had a very sizable population. Mario Kart DS, Mario Kart Wii both had pretty sizable populations. Ultimately, um, again, you're absolutely right. I think it was uh, Nick who said that, that it really just kind of cuts these people off at the knees and it's just unexpected for nintendo granted again they didn't have the uh, choice in the matter so to speak but it's still weird Uh, obviously this was big enough to get news do we think that there's any sort of bright side pr spin that can come out of it because it seems just at a very black and white level to be a bad thing and uh the the super fans will just be upset but like gamers like tyler and even myself for a lot of these games won't care but it gets reported on anyway is there any good reason behind doing this behind showing them down behind yeah and at least for nintendo 
not trying to find an alternative way to get around it. So if GameSpy is the problem and it's gone, sure, that's GameSpy's fault. But as far as not about... finding a way around it for Nintendo, it's entirely just a numbers game. Someone at Nintendo has yeah. to be crunching the numbers and thinking, how big of a population are we going to alienate by shutting these down and not finding a solution? Is that going to prevent them from buying future Nintendo products? Like, were these people even going to buy a Wii U or a 3DS in the first place, or were they just going to keep playing these old games in perpetuity? The reigning uh, conspiracy theory, at least among disgruntled consumers, and I can say this because nobody at Nintendo is going to listen to this podcast, but a lot of people seem to think, uh, at Nintendo, at Nintendo is very specific there, a lot of people seem to think that uh, effectively... Nintendo deliberately shut down multiplayer support for Mario Kart Wii to drive sh- sales of Mario Kart 8. Well, that's just tinfoil hattie. That is yeah, pretty tinfoil hattie. Yeah, that that completely lines up, you know, right place, right time, but they had no yeah. say. If that was the was only game. Down. Yeah, if that was the only game they were shutting down, then I would believe it. But Plus, it's... Mario Kart 7 is still live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, you know. Mario Kart Wii is pretty shitty anyway. It was probably the worst Mario Kart ever. I was going to say it was worse than um, Double Dash. So. Good, we can all agree. Hey, up your, <laughs> that's a wild card option. Up your Mario Kart game, people. <laughs> that's some pretty think, serious shots fired there from Tyler. Get on, get on Tyler's level. <laughs> I so, still play the SNES one because that's the best. I'm but. so Mario Kart, I play Blur. I don't even <laughs> have a Super Nintendo out here, and I already. I don't even have a Super Famicom, but I have a copy of Super Mario Kart. That's how awesome it is. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. Before we started recording, um, my girlfriend mentioned that we should do a podcast just about Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U and how great it's going to be. And I almost feel like we're 50% of the way there right now. So um, oh, we're close. Uh, if there was is, a, well, let's move if on. There was a way that you could play like Mario Kart, like the Super NES version online through the wii u version that would almost justify buying a wii u for me all right you're not asking for a lot i'll pass that along anyway yeah so this is this has some wider implications though that was that was sarcasm See, I want multiplayer Earthbound, so i don't know what's wrong (laughs) with my brain but so so maybe we can find a support group (laughs) so there's a lot of games surprisingly using this. We've covered the Nintendo titles. There's uh, um, Battlefield has previously mentioned the Mod Hub in Civilization, um, Borderlands, Grand Theft Auto 4, which I know is still actively played. Uh, By who? Like the. You've seen the modding community for Tyler, that, right? Tyler, I'm not, I'm not going to explain to you who's playing these games. Don't get incredulous that these people exist. You know that you don't want to know who they are anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the lady. And there's also a chance it's either people who are super casual or who are just very, very young and that don't have any choice in the matter. There you Personally, go. Like there are a lot of floor, like... though, especially the PC version. I mean, with the money community, they'll surely find a way around this, won't they? For specific titles, I imagine there will be some combination of, you know, edits to files or possibly uh you know dns servers that redirect any uh request for the game spy servers but a lot of this stuff i don't know i mean and that's that's kind of getting into our um related topic to this is you know how many of these will survive how many will not and i guess to a certain extent how much do we care well yeah i think I think it's important to compare this to the 
fact that games for windows live service on uh pc is shutting down soon as well and a lot of games rely on that on unfortunately mm-hmm. <laughs> in a similar way to the way they rely on GameSpy. uh it already shut down nope uh you can still earn achievements in dark souls if you yep. really care about that um so you have a, a situation where on PC a number of games have been updated to cut out games for Windows Live altogether. Like Bioshock Two was recently updated to have Steam support, Steam achievements, and people got the DLC for free because they felt bad, I guess. Um, on the other hand, uh, a lot of developers like the Dark Souls. Dark Souls still has been updated. Uh, a lot of games like uh, I want to say Bulletstorm won't be patched. There have been no announcements there, which is kind of sad. Mm-hmm. So it's really a case by case. Like, is the developer willing to invest time and money to fix this? And uh, you know, I think what, what, what the, what's really alarming about Nintendo to me, and maybe I shouldn't be alarmed by this, but um, I don't think it was less that they weighed the numbers and they were like, okay, the numbers add up. We'll sell more. We use it mm-hmm. won't hurt a bottom line. I think it was more like even if we wanted to do this, we don't know how to because well, they can barely. They barely got Nintendo Network up and running for their two old, it, new consoles. It's a combination, uh, at least from my perspective, of um, some blithe incompetence in the on the part of I, I wow incompetence on the part of IT for the Nintendo end of things. You know they don't know how to put up servers, blah blah blah, whatever. And then also I I, I get this feeling anyway from the uh, entrenched management that basically. They're still thinking, oh, well, this internet thing, it's a weird fad, you know? People will get over it eventually, and then they'll just play their games, uh, you know, split-screen multiplayer. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, can I give the Tinfoil Hat crew a little bit of credence on this for one second? Because a thought just popped into my head. Considering okay. what we've talked about with Nintendo being so Japan-centric, mm-hmm. could this have been coming from Nintendo of Japan to say, we want to goose sales of the Wii U version, let's get rid of the Japanese version, or get rid of the Wii version. Honestly, uh, I could not discount that because nobody understands the motives of uh, of <laughs> NCL. You know, I don't like... think NCL even realizes that some of their games are online, so that just seems like a bridge. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty um, sure NCL is like the house of the undying in Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like it's Good very reference. possible that they could have just thought of this purely from a Japanese standpoint because it's it's not really a surprise that Japanese people, Japanese consumers aren't super IT um, like knowledgeable at this point. Like we kind of make jokes about how our parents can figure out some stuff with technology, but like even smart Japanese people are like that. I I heard some horror story from one of you guys or from somebody else I know who's been in Japan, but uh, that um like wireless routers never like they all have the default name nobody ever tweaks the configuration oh yeah that was yeah like not many people do that and they keep the default name and like my girlfriend's japanese like pocket wi-fi thing it's just like a string of numbers and then every time she like i go over there to like oh do can i log in she's like oh here's this here's the thing it's like this this like the the thing that came with it in the box it has like here's the name of the router and then here's the password it's like this alphanumeric string and basically i mean so japan is a country of middle-aged women basically as far as it expertise goes um and they're the only ones getting anything done here too politics talk hey oh anyway it's a tech support uh individual's dream there then is what you're saying it's it's probably some sort of hacker's dream as well but i can't i have the my home internet is fiber and i have like the fastest connection i've ever personally dealt with but the only way i can connect is using a pppoe uh server (laughs) 
<laughs> what? Oh my God. I'm sh- I'm nodding my head right now. Are you using Windows 98 as well? <laughs> no, but no. the company, but no, but I the town probably I can't even explain is. like how much of a pain in the ass it was to get all these different uh, devices connected to that fucking internet, and how hesitant I am to change anything. God. <laughs> yeah. Like, my like, router I... has no password protection right now because of that. I just have a it's it's hidden, so you can't you don't. You can't connect unless you know the name of my Wi-Fi network. Basically. Right, of course. Yeah. So whereas I have never I've got, heard... <laughs> go ahead. I, well, I've got like a DSL setup, and I was lucky enough that like it's just the one DSL modem. It plugs into the phone, and then I plugged in my router to there and configured out all that. So that's fine. But like, if you looked around my apartment complex, it's a whole bunch of people with default names and default <laughs> numbers, oh and then God. mine that's you know humorously named in English, and it's okay. We can see who the American here is. <laughs> I had I have heard of PPPOE. I had never heard of PPPOF. That is just the weirdest damn thing. I've oh, and the other the other punchline is like I'm sure Tyler could. This might be not be the truth to it or not, but like I'm sure he could. He has fiber optic, but he probably had to like do parts of the agreement via fax and or like using his personal like ink stamp um, in order to get f- those agreements. The former, no. The latter, yes. Personal so, ink yeah. stamp. So we have yeah. no faith. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, they don't, a lot of places won't accept just a signature over here <laughs> because signatures mean nothing to most Japanese companies. Uh-huh. So but I had stamp. to... I had like to get, your old like a, school emperor's stamp. I had to get an actual like uh, stamp made out of bamboo with my name written in like super simple Japanese. Not even my last name, just my first name because they don't give a shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all official. I mean... In, in order to buy my car last year, I uh, I had to register that my stamp is mine to my identification at my town office so that then I could use it as an official documentation part of purchasing and transferring the ownership of a car. Jesus. So GameSpy. So anyway, yeah. GameSpy. No, that is... So um... Stamps save matchmaking games. <laughs> so that's why I don't rule out Japan about any of this nonsense. Pers- personalized stamps. Um, yeah. Okay. The only way you can connect to the new uh, Nintendo connection is with your personal stamp. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear God! Oh God! So, so yeah. So, so do we want to do we want to take this into the wider issue then? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think we can all agree that there is, based on legal wording and all that, like we can assume that there's no legal obligation to companies to maintain these services oh, uh, past not. any point, unless they specify otherwise in the agreement that you usually have to accept before playing a game. The real question is like, you know, at what point should we as gamers, as consumers, and as like people who maybe care about preservation and the the eventual future like study of um, how games got to where they are, you know, 50 years down the road when your grandchildren won't listen to you, but you keep trying to talk to them about this stuff um, in absolute futility and that drives you to drink because your grandchildren don't care and you sit alone by yourself. Ah, you read my short story. (laughs) (laughs) so what you know to what extent should we care and what what would we like to see become i guess standard practice in the industry tyler and Uh, i were talking my biggest fear right now is that i mean you got have you guys heard about the rumored uh master chief collection for xbox one yeah Yeah. i have not heard about that well the rumor is that they're going to be releasing uh halo one through four for the xbox one all of them remastered, basically. I would buy that 
complete with uh, multiplayer. Mass Effect. Ooh, also, wait, wait, well, are we talking like per title multiplayer? Per title, yes. Whoa. Original multiplayer or tacked onto the shitty Reach engine? Because that ruined. Uh, that's DLC the question. Man, that I'm not sure. Great. Like it's all just rumored. Microsoft themselves hasn't said anything so far. Oh, this yeah. could be their big E3 reveal for all we know. But that's what I'm more concerned about. Is that like, yeah, maybe we do have these nostalgia for older titles, but as these things get shut down, because of course they will be eventually shut down. It's just like things are going to be re-released forever. Like, oh, you got this new hardware and the shit don't work anymore. We'll buy it again. Well, at the same time, like, hey, you, you bought Star Wars on VHS. That's antiquated. We're putting it out on DVD. That's antiquated. We're putting it out on Blu-ray. It's not too big of a difference that way. There's an argument to be made. I would agree yeah. with that. I don't know. I I don't have a hard time buying HD collections for, like, single-player experiences. Like, I like playing, like, the Shadow of the Colossus in HD. But as far as, like, multiplayer goes, like... Well, instead of, you can you can recreate the experience of playing with your friends in the dorm or in high school in your par- parents' house, except you're now all 20-somethings and broke and can barely afford to keep your internet going and your console system brand new. Yeah. Maybe by that time we'll be 40-somethings who can't I think the, the biggest difference going. in your case for Star Wars, though, is that your old VHS copy of Star Wars does not stop working when the Blu-ray comes out. Oh, you're, I mean, if you're talking signal player, your old version of the Halo doesn't stop working either, just until the system goes pop. Yeah, or when they shut another down one, the VHS player. Yeah. Well, fortunately, Halo had no online matchmaking, so good on them, but... Okay, but... <laughs> Halo 2. That was just an example, Jesus Christ. I know, I'm just, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I think I'm playing you, the Tyler you... role for once. hey yo. At any rate... Yeah. Go ahead. So I think that, that that's the consumerist argument, right? Is that there, nothing is wrong with Star Wars, and in fact, like you can make an argument that Star Wars got worse as it was released on new media over time. But that's due to you know post production changes, which you know is Ray also what happened with Halo. Overlords. Yeah, All part of my original vision. And if you look at Halo CE's tenth anniversary release on Xbox 360, uh, there were good and bad things about that. Um, good was that the original. Single player felt well preserved with some nice enhancements if you wanted them, but multiplayer was fundamentally changed. Ideally, if a game's preserved, we would see it in a museum type setting or whatever that is, as it was originally released in that environment, complete with the multiplayer, even if it was um, put through some sort of local server. Because, like you're saying, Nick, the re release of Halo, re release of any game on a new generation. Um, even the Star Wars and film example, there will always be a desire to tweak it. If it's not just straight up porting it and making it technically work, the original code, there will always be the desire or requirement based on the consumer to update the graphics, change this multiplayer thing, add this feature. And then in the end, you aren't getting the original experience, right? So you're not playing the original game. So if we're talking about preservation, which... I think gaming should have more of. We're going to have to look to third parties or more historical, nonprofit, whatever it is, type of people that want to take a game as it was, and make that uh, retrievable for future generations. Because I think we will see each generation re-releases, and like Tyler's talking about, that's a valid fear if it's just continually re-releasing the same thing over and over and changing it slightly. 
Yeah, I, th I think there there are two angles to it, which are preservation and recreation. And on one hand, you have you know you can preserve a ROM, but you can't recreate what it was like to play a sixteen player Halo LAN or Street Fighter Two arcade cabinet at your convenience store. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the same... hard part is that this requires people. Yep. So um, the like corollaries, you know, if you have a movie on VHS that gets re-updated, updated, and like uh, retransferred from film for new media in the future. Um, you also have, on the other hand, plays that were conducted in England 500 years ago, written by Shakespeare, that are still being performed today in a different setting, but with you know varying degrees, either from total authenticity to as close as possible to not at all. Uh, you have a wide spectrum of how people choose to try to recreate and preserve that original experience. And of course, there's always going to be a fundamental difference, no matter whether you go either route. But um, I think with gaming, you can see uh, there's potential for, I think, new businesses and some really interesting opportunities on both sides of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's an important key to remember, too, is that it's it's open to interpretation and reinterpretation. We just want to make sure that the the original vision is a, is kept as as close to original as possible. Like, you can put out that Halo version with the different multiplayer as long as the other alternative is also available. Yeah, I, I guess I just am skeptical of any self-curation by the industry because we just see that already playing out um, even during the last generation of the PS3 and 360 of HD remakes of games ad nauseum, and that will continue now. It already happened with just last generation's games of Tomb Raider if this Halo collection's correct and real. Mass Effect trilogy, I've heard rumors of that being an HD uh, um, upgrade, so we'll keep seeing it, but I but think... The concern isn't preservation of single-player games here. The, the concern is preservation of online experiences. Well, yeah. Right. And or just we're... multiplayer experiences, probably. I mean, with, as right. far as single-player games go, like whether or not servers are shut down is largely irrelevant unless it's like an online only game or if there's like DLC that you can only get on the internet, but you can take out your Nintendo entertainment system and duck hunt. And that's always going to work. And you can take out your Xbox 360 and mass effect. And that's always going to work, but whether you'll be able to play like bring down the sky, that's another argument. Yeah. And that gets into the very esoteric element of are you playing all of the mass effect experience if you can't access the dlc so that's that's where my question and i i don't know the answer to that yet is what do i want to see preserved in the future the whole experience is that possible and how we do that um because you and i tyler were talking before we started the podcast of perhaps the difference between seeing the games as if you want to call it art whatever or um a a sport a activity is, is yeah mlg <laughs> will be preserving all of the games for us but um i i would optimally want to have it as the experience was even if um it will never be the same because you could play battlefield 1942 uh with other players let's say in some museum setting on the server with no mods it's just like the game was released the first patch whatever it is but you are bringing other shooter experiences to to that game, and you're going to be thinking, oh, well, you know, this is kind of shitty because it doesn't have uh, this feature that's on Battlelog for Battlefield 6, whatever it is. You, you will be able to experience the game, but just like history is 
now and you go to a museum, you're going to appreciate it. You're not going to necessarily say, oh, this is the greatest thing ever, but you're able to do it. That's the whole point. You don't have to like the art or the style of it, but it's preserved as it was. I don't know if that's possible with a lot of these multiplayer games. I think what will always be possible, especially now that we have Twitch streaming, well, possibly super in the, in the future, uh, YouTube streaming, is this idea like the, the recordings of these things will be preserved. In the same way, you can watch like an old recording of Super Bowl One, but you're not going to be able to experience that the same way that you that people experienced it 40 years ago. Yeah, years exactly. Ago. And, but that's also kind of like to Aaron's point, I was watching an old uh, IndyCar race last night because the Indianapolis 500 is this weekend as we're recording uh, right before Memorial Day weekend. And watching the race from 1995 with 1995 hairstyles and 1995 <laughs> broadcasting style for how they present an automobile race on TV is really interesting. It's just it's besides the sport itself, it's just interesting and fascinating to see the rest of the trappings. So in that case, with games, it'd be interesting to see, like, oh, man, they had to use this kind of computer to run it. It was only this fast. You had to do this with the software to be able to get access to stuff. And, and that's the museum piece argument, I guess, right there. You needed a boot disk to play TIE Fighter? <laughs> <laughs> you needed a patch for kind TIE of Fighter world? so your 3D uh, Microsoft Sidewinder 3D Pro worked. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll you need to log in to play online to play Final Fantasy XI. I had to. <laughs> I'll be. I'll be real here, you guys. I did zone out a little bit once the uh, Halo Master Collection was described because that's like the only <laughs> thing that could get me to buy an Xbox One. Um, at the other, on the other hand, though, I mean, as far as the argument of um, will we be able to play these things in the future goes, I, I just snap back to the uh, South Park episode where Cartman freezes himself uh, <laughs> so he can get to the Nintendo Wii faster. And then, meanwhile, in the future, he finally gets a Nintendo Wii and they can't hook it up to the TV. I mean, there is a hard yeah. uh, end cap to some of this stuff. Yeah, very true. And especially with the physical element, which we keep mentioning, but I think that's still our frame of reference. We still are using primarily physical consoles, um, Sure, you've got a PC you've built or whatever, but you're buying from Steam. It's digital versions. But a lot of uh, console games and handheld, very particularly, are physical. It would be so easy to imagine it in the future as long as that continues. We have a handheld with the cartridge, with the disc, whatever it is, and that could be put in and a person can play that. Kind of like we saw um, for those of us at PAX last year, that whole retro game room and everything stacked up against a wall. It's very easy to touch that history, but the history of these digital games, of these multiplayer components, it's not so easily preserved, and it's going to be a very difficult question uh, as time goes on, as as more things become digital, I imagine. It's all irrelevant, because our children won't know video games. They'll only know MOBAs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they'll go to, they'll go to school and be taught by a MOBA. iPhone MOBAs. My grandchild will be so disappointed that he sneezed out his uh, PlayStation 9 spores and didn't keep them around. <laughs> Dude, you know what? Our, to talk about like touching it and actually getting to see stuff, it's something I miss about J America. I wrote about it in the a long article about Japanese games a while back. Is you can go to recycling stores and re and like used game stores and even pretty pretty regular stuff. 
and see old games and old consoles just there for sale. And it's really cool to have that history right there next to the brand new stuff. Oh, it's certainly not nothing. Yeah. And I think with that, we are going to call this one an episode. Call it an A. Indeed, we are. Uh, Let's, of course, you know, first of all, before we actually conclude, because I can cut this out with the magic of editing, uh, if there's anything else anyone wants to throw in here before we uh, wrap, now would be Uh, the time. I guess one last thing I'd like to say Mm -hmm. is if anyone wants to start a business and reaching out to these companies and offering to help them emulate old hosting and matchmaking services for online games, I think there might be a niche industry there someday. I don't know. But Not for one company, for sure. Yeah, just just saying, if you want to make some money, that might be a way to do it. Well, we should just do that then. People have uh, done stranger things with video games. Yeah, I guess I'll start learning server-side programming and oh, God, my eyes are crossing. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea is already done. Yeah. It well, certainly won't be us. <laughs> well, uh, who would like to say where they can be found online? I mean, the NSA is already after me, so I don't know if I should say anything. Not through <laughs> EA servers. That's where I can be found. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, well, who would like well, to start? I am Doug Bonham. I am a writer and editor for Silicon Sasquatch. You can find me on Twitter at Douglas Bonham and playing games poorly on PlayStation Network. I like how you said Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. 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 I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Nick. Uh, you guys all know me. Uh, you can find me at Nick Cummings on Twitter. Uh, and I'm Ymog on everything else. So let's play some Dark Souls 2. Did, have you yeah. playing that? Yeah, have you yeah, finished? It's a long game. No, okay. I've only got like 25 hours into it so far. Well, okay. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, you're getting there. Tyler uh, hit that only that I was waiting for. <laughs> Demon uh, Souls takes at least thirty. Yeah, I think I finished at sixty. So I finished yeah. Demons in half that time. Yeah, it's a shorter game. Dark Souls Two is huge. There are like fifty bosses. There's a lot. Fifty? At least thirty. Oh my god, you nerds! Uh, you can find me at Aaron Thayer tweeting about Dark Souls Two, but not really. And yeah, praise the sun. That's mostly me. I'm Athe on a lot of other gaming websites and services uh, Tyler Tyler A. Martin on Twitter I don't play Dark Souls 2 uh, mostly these days I'm playing uh, handheld games uh, iOS games and Telltale Adventure games yeah and I can yeah. and I can be found on Twitter at Spencer Tordoff where I'm basically just pitching my Crimson Skies MMO idea over and over to nobody. <laughs> That's actually not a bad idea. Right? It's a really good idea. Oh my god, it would be marvelous. Uh, but, but Spencer falls drunkenly in a forest and no one's around to hear it, does it really exist? <laughs> I always That's, call that a Monday. It's getting, so this sad. is getting dark. <laughs> this is getting really dark. I've been so All upbeat right. this whole time. Anyway, thank you for listening and join us next time. We're out. Silicon Sasquatch is Nick Cummings, Aaron Thayer, Doug Bonham, Tyler Martin, and Spencer Tordoff. And this episode was produced by Spencer Tordoff. If you'd like to read or hear more of our work, we are at siliconsasquatch.com or we are available on iTunes. Just search Silicon Sasquatch Podcast. 
Thanks for listening.